Hey, hey, Foyo Fadolo Podcast, episode one. Today we got some gamer dude on YouTube, aka Eric, with his newly launched Kickstarter, Hyperjukin. What's up, Eric? Some gamer dude? Right. Um, so you've got the awesome game, Hyperjukin. I've covered it, you've covered it. What day is it coming to Kickstarter? It's already up. Already up. So check her out. And um, so I've done a how to play. Game looks excellent, polished, clean, refined, complex. Every good adjective I can think of. Very yes. impressive stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess to start off, you're Australian. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. expect Australian animals a lot for in the future. Okay. I can see that because I yeah. uh, because the whole game is is anamorphic fighting animals, right? Um, so let's take it to the beginning. What got you started into gaming? Uh, Pokemon TCG, like a lot of people our age. Pokemon TCG, okay. Because yep. I know collected I was a lot of. Button. Oh, uh, 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 like, what'd you say? I collect a lot of trading cards when I was very very young. Uh, Flair NBA. 9495 and Oddbods, uh, that's an Australian exclusive brand. Um, things from like the Mortal Kombat movies, uh, when Tarzos came out, our version of Pogs, I collected those. But it, it was all collection based. Then when Pokemon CCG came out, it gradually started pushing me into games instead of just collecting cards. Cool, cool. So uh, if you don't mind, uh, how old were you? When Pokemon drops, because I know I was in, I think the ninth grade. Oh, I was ten. Ten. Okay. 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 Yeah. So I got some good years on you. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so, um, so, what games did you stick with for a while, and which did you dip your foot into and leave? Oh, that's a long list. Long uh, well, list. Pokemon was obviously the start. Then it was the Score Dragon Ball Z card game which you'll see some influences in Hyperduke, and I think someone's already told you that in the comments. Uh, then it's Yu-Gi-Oh!, like most people. Then the Duel Masters, I played that very, very heavily. That that was the first game that where it really became, I love this as a game. The property is really secondary. I just love playing it, and that's why I've covered it quite a bit on the channel looking back at it. I've actually gone black back and... Uh, played the game race, well, semi race the last few years. Holds up really well. Even playing the Japanese current stuff, it's really good. Uh, then it's the Naruto World CCG. Oh, yeah, that's Which actually had some influences on Hyperdriken as well. The resource system is directly inspired by the Chakra system. I can see that. I can see that now. Didn't think yeah. of it before, but I can see that now. Yeah. Yeah, I played Pokemon competitively for a few years during Generation 3. Unfortunately, a really good friend, well, an old friend that was good at the time um, from Brisbane came down to our Sydney cities and knocked me down from first place to third, uh, losing that in Sydney cities back in Gen 3. But that was still a good time. It's probably the most I've ever applied myself to CCG uh, competitively was because during Vanguard, I just made a lot of stupid decisions. Uh, then I petered around, I tried out the spoils, which I've covered. I still regard it as one of the worst games played it really didn't like it um i'd love to go back to it now but no one wants to try of course i've still got the deck i did actually try the world of warcraft tcg i wasn't into a high fantasy at the time but i really really like playing it it's just you're not into the theming it wasn't enough to stay with it then i took about a year break of tcgs i played Yu-Gi-Oh off and on then when kaijudo started coming up in the states the Duel masters revival i'm like Oh, I hope that comes out. And it never did here. It was US exclusive. Through that time, I heard about this CFV people kept mentioning. And then I look it up, discover Vanguard through that. And that really rekindled everything. I got really heavy into Vanguard. So, whoa, and uh, start of G era, I'd say. Uh, played a few other revivals of things here off and on. Then it got into Force of Will, Dragon Ball Super, I tried a bit of, and then uh, Magic, Magic I played really heavily uh, till I started 
uh, getting ready to start experiments with car designs. But yeah, uh, that, that's about it. The last few years, it's mostly just been spending time on a hyperjerkin, though. Okay. So you've had a wide breadth of games to take some influence from and everything. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Right. Uh, you pretty much laid it all out there, but I'm going <laughs> to go into a little bit more detail. So uh, how was the gaming scene growing up in Australia exactly? Uh, not too many when I was really young, when uh, about, uh, I'd say about 10, about the age of 15. The only place I really knew of that was anywhere near me or I could get to by myself was this creepy uh, place behind shops and people touch all their cards with food. And it was just a really unpleasant environment. I mean, I was younger, so I had my mum with me and she just flat out refused to go back there. Then we went. I went to a place in Burwood because I'm located in New South Wales, Sydney. So this place was used to be called the Sydney Game Centre. It used to be the big hub in uh, Sydney for card games. And that's where I started getting into competitive games. Unfortunately, uh, as things started expanding over years, it's petered down because it wasn't centralised. We got places closer to me, but they really only play Magic. Further out in Sydney itself, everything just uh, kind of faded out. And unfortunately, that Sydney Game Centre, the big hub, just closed uh, during the COVID pandemic. Okay. Which yeah, feels good. like an end of an era thing. Even the owner from the card store closest to me used to go there back in the day. That's terrible. Okay. Yeah. Um, ha uh, have you by any chance um, ever heard of that store, Midian Gaming? I just asked because they have a little uh, presence on YouTube. Oh, Midian Gaming, yeah, they're uh, down Melbourne. Okay, so that's pretty far, pretty close, or? Uh, different state. Okay, different state, different state, a whole different thing, okay. Just yeah, I've actually been uh, interested in contacting them because I know that they do tournaments for WWE Raw Deal, and that's a game that I've never played, never seen on the shelf, but I'm deeply, deeply interested in. Yeah, I mean, we got to get some of that uh, webcam gaming going. Probably yeah. start off with some hyperjuking, matter of fact. But, um, oh yeah. Okay, so in corresponding with you over the years, uh, through the chat or whatever, through the YouTube chat, I, I remember saying, I remember you saying that you don't get the same product that, that the U.S. gets and y'all are more taxed than we get. So could you expound upon that? Uh, yeah, so in Australia, uh, well, I should say at the moment, um, you know how you pay about four US plus tax for a Vanguard booster? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's about eight fifty, including tax here. That's horrible. Double the yeah, price. Um, I don't know exactly what's causing it, but it seems to be, from my understanding, the distributor here for Japanese games in particular is kind of wonky in regards to their relationship with a few different uh, publishers and stores. So they kind of screw up um, their ability to order a lot of product. So therefore, it becomes exactly what it is for me in manufacturing, that you make less, it costs more. And then they have to pass that onto the consumer. Uh, it's actually really interesting in recent years, though. The biggest stores, are, uh, it, it's um, a store here called JB Hi-Fi, I think Best Buy is like an electronic store, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the closest equivalent for you. Uh, they now carry a lot of collectibles and cards because it's profitable, where DVDs and that aren't anymore. Uh, the supermarkets now stock Pokemon again for the first time in a decade, and they're reasonable prices. They're six Australian, which uh, our prices are tax-inclusive, like okay. a lot of the world is. From what I understand, Japan and America are about the only places that aren't tax-inclusive. And when you do all the conversions, that's about where it should be, not the uh, seven that it generally is. Okay. And then again, Vanguard's update 50, which is, that's a good reason why it's basically dead here now. There's very few pockets of play. Okay, that's sad, that's sad. Yeah, okay. it, it's an unfortunate uh, thing of low population and then just uh, not being able to shift enough product because okay. people can only buy so much. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, off the top of your head, what's your favorite 
TCG of all time, and what's your favorite TCG at the moment? Uh, well, favorite of all time is probably Duel Masters. It'd be an even tie between Duel Masters and Vanguard in that, but uh, at the moment, geez, it's hard because I don't really play that much of these in the Hyperdrukin anymore. It's actually gotten to the position where uh, playtesting doesn't want to play anything else between games. It's just like, no, I didn't bring my decks. We just want to play Hyperdrukin. So, yeah. But uh, if I thought say something, I'd print. I'd probably go for one of the Bandai games or Yu-Gi-Oh. I really think Yu-Gi-Oh gets a lot of crap online that it doesn't deserve. I think it's a much better game than people give it credit for. And Yu-Gi-Oh, all that, all that solitaire play. I, I, I don't know, but if you say so. But that's very uh, resounding good information that the playtesters only want to play Hyperjukin and nothing else in between. That's great. Okay, uh, just getting to know you, but uh, what's your favorite board game? What's your favorite video game? Uh, I'm not a big board game person. Okay, respectable. Uh, I don't really play them. Uh, video game, jeez. Probably something I'd go back to a lot, which would probably be something from when I was young, like Sonic 2 or Street Fighter 2. Sonic 2. Yeah, let's see, you're a big Sonic guy. Okay, Street Fighter 2, okay, lovely, lovely. Okay, um, so let's get to... That's the fame, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they both work, they both work. Maybe you can get a crossover one day, hopefully soon. All right, um, so let's get to the real deal. Um, So how long have you been working on Hyperjukin? Since about, I'd say, August 2016, but it didn't really start taking, uh, well, August, uh, I should say, the end of 16 was mostly just going, can we actually do this? Because I had an old playtester then. He uh, left the project uh, whoa, a few years, about 2020, just before everything went down. Um, it was mostly just figuring out, can we do this? And then from about the early 17 through 18, uh, mid-18, about August, according to my old files, because I went through them recently, was going through about four different engines to finding something that this has its own identity. This is fun. This has legs. This, this can happen. This is genuinely good. It's actually kind of funny. And I mentioned this to Ben, the one I had before, uh, what became Hyper Duke and played a lot like flesh and blood. Wow. It had that, uh, every card had a combat value. So I think it's just, um, you could only block with one card, not multiple how flesh and blood works. Uh, that's probably why I was so harsh on Flesh and Blood because uh, despite, because you pointed this out, you're the only other person that's pointed out that it does feel a bit like UFS, which I have touched on at times. I've touched on that one about three different times trying to force myself to like it. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it gets a really bad rap, but I mean, you know, what do you do? It, my Hero Academia one's on clearance here now. Yeah, I mean, it just... And people just don't like the mechanics for whatever reason. Kind of complicated. And yeah, what do you do? Um, oh, Jace, what was the topic again? Oh, oh yeah. um, the, sorry if I've joking. So, yeah, um, the third one uh, played a lot like Flesh and Blood. That was probably a contributing factor as to why I was so harsh on Flesh and Blood because I was really hoping they'd take those ideas that I scrapped and make something I thought was genuinely good about it. And... After I tried it out, I was like, wow, this is every reason I dropped this very similar engine. Mm. It's like, yeah, I I guess that I was just hoping it to be a finished version of what I was trying to do. Okay. So you're talking about the pitch mechanic and everything like that and the blocking Uh, and the... The attack and block mechanics in it. How um, you discard a card to prevent that much... Damage from the attack. Okay, respectable. So, um, any other iterations you could uh, talk about right now? Uh, the first two are very, very derivative of other games. Uh, not, nothing I really want to talk about because, um, you know, the YouTube, you might not know the YouTuber Awesome Card Games. Man, man, I've been trying to look for them. Can't find them for some reason. Yeah, I'll give you a link later. Uh, I gave him a demo a long, long time ago, and he was like, 
wow, this is really too derivative. It, even with things changed, it, it just didn't have enough of its own thing. Okay. And that became a really prominent sticking point with me, having your own identity, not wearing your influences on your sleeve. Okay. I mean, you ended up in a great spot, so glad it got to go through all of that testing and everything. Okay. Uh, actually, um, you know the card I gave you, the uh, delayed uh, backhand chop? Oh, yeah. The one you had as preview? Yeah, yeah, it was actually kind of funny, a story with that one. Playtesting uh, was asking me before I showed that card off if I would do something like that, if I'd have effects in the kit pool, and I'm like, here, here it is. I already made it. Nice, 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 nice. I think that's the next video that I've got lined up to drop, I believe. But yeah. I know, you've already got it out. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'm subscribed to you, I remember. <laughs> got the uh, got the Tai Chi card coming next. That's what that is. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what all difficulties did you run into with designing and testing Hyperjuking? Uh, well, I'm actually making a video about this. Elotona was actually the third character for Blue. Okay. Blue okay. uh, had a ton of problems fine-tuning it to make it not basically okay, so you know how Elotona is kind of marketed as everlasting life? Yes. In original uh, versions of it, yeah, that was quite literal. He okay. was too hard to beat through. Okay. Actually, interesting story there. The original deck size was 60. Okay, when 60 I took it 40. to my current playtesting group, they said that they liked half decks more, which were 30, of course. And then it just became a position of, well, if you like the pacing of 30, and yeah, 40 is a nice round number. It gives you enough space that things don't go too fast, don't go too slow. It, th that's just kind of where it sort of and it became a really great number for making decks because it can just be 10 cards of four copies each. just plays out well. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. But yeah, uh, Blue gave us a lot of hell trying to make it work but not be unkillable, for lack of a better term. Taichi took a lot of refinement because early on it felt like he was doing a whole lot but not getting any payoff for it. That's why you see uh, Sniper Beam, the card that can't be blocked by blocks the share a name with a card in your opponent's remove pile okay. because it was felt that he needed payoff. That's... Um, his uh, signature tactic, the buff, the Demon of the Wind and the Demon Wind slash his hyper attack both came much later than he did to help capitalize off his skills. Lucy gave me no grief. She was fine from day one. I knew exactly what I was doing. Okay. So for those who don't know, thing... in the game we've got red, yellow, and blue yeah. Um, archetypes. And are they always going to be every every block that comes out is going to be the red, yellow, and blue? Technically, yes. Sort of, no. Okay. So okay. I, I'll spell the beans here. Um, the, uh, the, the reason that it's red, yellow, and blue is because of the color wheel, right? Okay. So if you make a... Well, Lucy's red. You have to have one red carter. Your other one's going to be blue if you went into blue. You just got... Uh, purple with that combination, didn't you? You got purple, okay. And those colors will get support in set three. Nice, 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 nice. But they have a little uh, caveat where uh, the cards in the corner, like there's blue, uh, purple, orange, and green cards are for uh, set three. I won't spoil which one comes with which, though. Okay. You, your other two cards in your corner have to be red and blue. So say Lucy has the purple card, her other carter has to be blue. Mm. And this will also give her access to purple cards in her arsenal. But she can also run purple cards in her arsenal if she has a red and blue card in a corner. There's yeah. a lot of deck building restrictions. I really like that um, position. That was actually another thing. Uh, keeping characters different and not letting them have access to things that would break them was a big thing in testing because... Uh, Mark, for set two, uh, I tested him out ages upon ages ago. Uh, but he's hyperformed because I don't know how pre uh, prevalent this knowledge is, but I designed each character twice when I'm first designing them. So Lucy does have her uh, hyperfighter and her hyper attack. It's just I'm keeping the hyperfighter, sorry, the hyper attack back until we come back to her so that 
when we come back to our show off for something new. Okay, so does everybody yeah. have a hyper fighter form and a hyper attack? Uh, they are designed with them. Uh, the hyper fighters started in the design first. Hyper attack came much, much later because I experimented with I really like the idea of a big finisher blow. Um, I was getting into wrestling at this time. Sounds and like I was it. really uh, starting to like the idea of uh, finishers from that. And I'm like, I want to express this. Originally, it was going to be something like a card card in exchange uh, for the card you get a finisher. And I thought, no, I, I want it to be part of the fighter. And honestly, if I did Hyper Jukin today, I probably wouldn't have the Hyper Fighter form. I'd probably just have the Hyper Attacks because I'll be honest, from my perspective, I actually enjoy them a little bit more. Hmm. Got to try them hands on myself. But, I mean, you know, it's good to have variety both ways. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Yeah, it, it actually does help in the long run because, uh, yeah, the Carter system does help with this. But each fighter having two versions, even if one isn't viable at that point in time, hopefully the other one is. And then everyone, regardless of who their favorite character is, they'll have a viable version of it. And that's really important to me to have... Yeah, not everyone's going to be tier one or tier zero or whatever. That that's just reality. Not not everyone's going to be equal in terms of execution. But as long as everyone's viable, and it's not like oh wow, this deck is complete trash, and this character is entirely unplayable. I think I've achieved something there. Oh yeah, you've definitely achieved some greatness so far. So uh, you've already touched on this, but if you don't mind expounding a little bit more, so what were your major inspirations for Hyperjukin? Uh, well, as I've said, um, inspired by the old Dragon Ball CCG, uh, someone pointed this out in your comments and I'm like, yeah, yeah, people are going to notice it. Uh, it. It's actually very different despite the similarities. The only uh, real thing that stuck around was uh, the hyper system is inspired by the anger system. It's a very different execution, though, because it's meant to be a reward instead of a given. Uh, that, that's why Lucy reduces it to six because it's kind of a side reference to anger being five. But um, at one point in development, uh, there was going to be a stock system to the hyper, but it was very, very hard to execute. Uh, stock being lots of three. Um, stock like gauge, you mean? Yeah, yeah, like in a fighting game super. Okay. Uh, that, that's actually how the game got its name. It's like, because uh, at one point the hyper was going to be called Adrenaline. As, again, because derivativeness. But um, as it evolved and started finding itself, it was like, and especially with the hyper attacks, it became a case of, wow, this is really like a super meter in a fighting game. It's like, what, what's a cool word for that that's not like super street fighter? Okay, hyper. And then it became, what's the name of the game? Um, well, I'd already settled on Jukin because I really liked the idea of... Um, uh, what's it called? The Japanese version of Power Rangers Jungle Fury. I like the name. Uh, Geki, uh, Jukin Sensei Geki Ranger, I think it is offhand. I don't have it in front of me. But um, Jukin meaning Beast Fist. It's a, the same root words as Tekken. So, okay. Like okay. A Tekken, Tekken means uh, Iron Fist. Okay. The Jukin. Ken part at the end is Fist. Okay, got the Ken. Yeah, okay. Um, so, through development, uh, the Duel Masters was obviously a big influence as uh, the, the streamline that ideal because I thought Vanguard too, because I think both are really good at that, especially current Vanguard. I, I really like where D went with that. Um, okay. all very elegant, yes, yeah. You'll, as I said, the um, resource system is inspired by Naruto CCG, which as I said, I did play a little bit of. I actually didn't remember it when I went back to it. It's one of the few games I actually forgot the rule set. But uh, I, when I was looking it up and I'm like, oh, wow, that would actually fit. That, that would actually help keep the pacing I wanted. Because keeping that the uh, keeping players from just going hog with level two attack, well, the level system wasn't there, but hard-hitting attacks was really important to me. I didn't want everyone just going, well, why not just go with the hardest attacks? I wanted an ebb and flow. Um, after that, as I got into wrestling, you'll, again, you'll start noticing this with set two. Uh, a lot of the cards start taking a lot of, well, the fighters in particular, start taking influences from how Raw Deal works. 
searching for specific cards, mentioning specific types. The card types actually um, came back about later in development, inspired by both UFS and Raw Deal. Originally, it was just attack cards without a subtype. And I'm like, I could probably play with that if we differentiated them. And later on, it's probably not going to happen now because blocks are limited to 12 per deck. But uh, if blocking became an issue, I could have made blocks only block specific attacks. But on that topic, uh, set five, spoiler. And I think set three, I'm not, I don't have it in front of me. But uh, there's blocks that their effects only work against specific uh, attack types. Like uh, Bob, the character for set five, it's a cane toad. Um, you'll toad. see his gimmick in set two. He's, he's got a block in there that only works uh, if, yeah, well, it blocks anything, but the effect only works against punches and kicks and chains into another card. Punches and kicks, no throws. Oh, he, he, he chains into his own throw. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting, interesting. What's stopping you from allowing a character card from saying that they can include 20 blocks in the arsenal? Nothing. Nothing. It, nothing it's nothing. mostly just um, keeping the game dynamic and moving at a good speed and not allowing it to basically become uh, what in Dragon Ball was known as stasis, where it became a matter of just turtling until war of attrition in the game wasn't too long. Okay. Um, I tried to avoid a lot of the problems. That game, UFS and Raw Deal all had. Uh, I, that was a big goal to not fall into their exact same traps, learn from their mistakes and build something better. Because all of these games in their own way are good games. It's just that Honestly, they make a lot of mistakes. And from my own experience with others, they push people away. Because uh, I don't know if you have experiences with UFS. Yourself, a lot of people don't. It's one of the, UFS is one of those games where you learn the rules, you learn how to play the different things. They're completely independent of each other. And a lot of people, they fully understand the rules, but then they go to play it and they don't get it. Yeah, pretty convoluted, but, uh, yeah. but Hyperjuking does not seem to have their problem. You know, uh, I've gotten people uh, completely fresh to TCGs up to speed in a half an hour. I've gotten people not familiar with this type of games and parroting um, Codox, I hate life decks, up to a speed in a couple of games. And the fact that they only lost by 15 cards, because that that's, uh, was a big thing with getting these three decks playing well together uh, to try to stop any blowouts, uh, made it that much sweeter for them. Nice, it's nice. not a big loss. It doesn't feel bad. Oh, yeah. Okay, this sounds like excellent work. And again, since 2016, not like a lot of these over these other overnight games that are coming out. So, like, you know, this is a really quality, tested, excellent product we're getting here. Okay. Oh, uh, one thing I should say on quality, I don't think I've mentioned this anywhere. Um, I might have, but I don't remember. No, I mentioned it in the... Uh, Video about uh, the samples. All the cards will be on 350 GSM cardstock, except the metallic cards, because they don't come on that cardstock. So all the cards for your arsenal, the ones you'll be touching a lot, they're really high quality, like uh, Force of Will. So ah, exact nice. same thickness. Force of Will had the most excellent of quality. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, we're going all deep in everything. But if you don't mind giving the people like a quick one-minute or two-minute pitch of the game overall. Okay. So Hyperdruken is a martial arts themed card game where you and your opponent I've repeated this so many times, where you and your opponent trade punches, kicks, and grapples and specials and try to get the opponent down and fizzle out their deck to see who will be victorious and become the cosmic champion of Hyperdruken, which is the, our version of the Universal Championship. You can either have a fighter that has a hyper attack, which is a big finishing blow, or a fighter with a hyper form, which is a super powered form like from an anime. And it's made to feel good. It's made to be very, very fair and balanced with a lot of feels good experiences. It's made to be highly customizable. And most importantly, it's made to not break your budget. 
Nice, excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay. Um, so I know you just gave me a rundown, but simply the gameplay. Could you describe the gameplay concisely but in a little bit more detail? Okay, so you open your turn by looking at the top four cards of your deck, your arsenal, I should say. You whatever you want, leave it on top, the rest you put it on the bottom. So for magic terms, scry four. Then you draw your hand a uh, four card. Draw your hand until you have four cards in your hand. It's uh, not draw four cards. It's draw until you have four. Then you can use any cards with setup effects. So that happened now. You can also set tactics face down to use them later. And you can decide whether you want to start hitting the opponent or not. If you want to initiate combat, you pull your fighter down to reveal aggressor on your fighter's tool. Your opponent draws cards till they have four cards in their hand. Then you can start attacking or using act effects by paying the key cost of your attack, which is its level by sending that many cards from your key pool to your exhaust. Your opponent then gets a chance to block it. If they block it, nothing happens except for the block. Your opponent's block is sent to their exhaust, which is their discapole. Your attack is sent to your key pool, which is your resources. If it hits, uh, your opponent now is inflicted with combat damage equal to the attack's power, which is... Thanks. Um, yeah, uh, inflicted with that much uh, combat damage equal to the power of the attack, and that many cards are sent from the top of your opponent's arsenal to their exhaust. If they reveal a breaker card as combat damage, they use the BRKR, or Breaker Effect, and then it is usually removed from the game, though later cards won't, and anyone pointing this out from Dragon Ball, why it doesn't have an endurance number like Dragon Ball, it's because it, Breaker cards are actually different as the game goes on. Uh, set 4 and 5, of, or 5, I forget which one right now, in particular, works very differently. Uh, it's future-proofing. This goes back and forth after your attack or act effect resolves. Your opponent gets to perform an attack or use an act effect. This goes back and forth till both players pass. Then your turn's end. You'll assist being the aggressor. And uh, your opponent's turn starts. At the end of turn, both players can put any cards they don't want from their hand on the bottom of their arsenal. Sounds like some real fun stuff. Okay. So, of course, watch the videos we have up, and that'll get you right up to speed. Less than 30 minutes for new card gamers, even. All right. So, in the comments, not to get too weird, it's a segue, but someone suggested the furry scene. Any further follow-up developments on possibly exploring that avenue? Oh, boy, that really depends on what you mean by furry, doesn't it? Furries. You know what I'm talking about, them furries. The PG and the other way. Every character is pure and not for sexy. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I, I, I try to stay away from stuff that's uh, inappropriate for kids. I, I think it's a game you could really share with your kids, so that's an important factor. So I, I try to keep everything appropriate. That's also why you'll never see uh, blood on it either. Okay, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you like stuff like Ninja Turtles or Sonic or that, that type of stuff, it's probably around that mark. Okay, so no Mortal Kombat crossover is coming anytime soon. <laughs> no. Okay, okay, so you've got your company, Savage Shitsu. Do you happen to have any other games maybe in the works to be released? Uh, we have a design for a game that uh, takes influences from... Magic, Force of World, Duel Masters, and all that. It, it's actually through uh, engine testing. It's got a lot of promise. It works perfectly fine. It's just a matter of uh, no time for it at the moment. It's just being left by the wayside. There's another game that I've got in conceptual phase that uh, you're familiar with Metabots? Yes. Okay, so it works a bit like how that works in terms of you have a core and then uh, build around it to build the parts, but it's more like uh, making chimeras. Okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if it'll go anywhere. It's uh, early days. It's might, might just be like something spitball doesn't go anywhere. 
But the uh, Magic Top game, maybe the market's too filled for it to even happen. It, it doesn't really differentiate from, well, look at Bandai. They're releasing that One Piece card game. And from what I've been told, it's very, very much like uh, Bandai's trying to capitalize on how popular Dragon Ball Super is outside of Japan by making a One Piece version of it in Japan, then releasing it internationally, which I really don't get because uh, as far as the properties that they have the master license for, to, I would think Naruto would have been a better one for international audiences. But it's over. Nobody's got time for that right now. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, um, um, but yeah the wi wizard game, because you've seen my old video on um, game types, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the Wizard game's perfectly fine. It's got concepts. It's already already uh, set up to release the exact same way as Hyper Jukin with three decks. Um, it's just a matter of there's no time for development for it. Not when every Hyper Jukin needs so much attention. Now, okay. if it came out, it probably wouldn't come out until 2024 at the earliest. Okay. But I'm sure once Hyper Jukin takes off like Grease Lightning, then you can bring some more people on board to help develop oh, God, it or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I need help. Oh, yeah, oh, it yeah. is hard doing everything by yourself. Um, that's something I don't think uh, is really appreciated by a lot of people in the gamer position, how much work goes behind a card game, it is, especially if you genuinely care about the outcome. It, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. As I was saying in that series, you can't think of it, oh, this is a fun hobby. No, no it's work. A lot of work. Yeah, I'm trying to make some cards myself. It's a lot of work. All right. So in such a crowded TCG, Kickstarter, Gold Rush, Boom, New Golden Era, how do you plan to stand out above the crowd? Shout out to Powerline from Goofy Movie. Well, I think the character designs and the angle with the anthropomorphic animals helps with that a lot. I think not being yet another... Magic the Gathering type game helps with that a lot. I think the price point, which has been noted by quite a few people, is very appealing. And as you said, being an actually well-crafted game. I think if more people tried the demo and then tried to start envisioning how the actual cards were revealed, go with that, it would help a lot. That's also why I showed set two because going back to the character designs being popular, all of us behind the game, playtesting, myself, uh, family, artists, we all expected Lucy to be the most popular character. Okay. It hasn't happened. Hasn't happened. Uh, no, no uh, we've actually experienced El Eterno being the most popular character. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, El Eterno is pretty cool. But, that, I mean, you know, Lucy's cool, but um, eh, maybe once people get their hands on it, the masses, I maybe do see it flipping to Lucy, but I mean, it's kind of maybe a 50-50 thing for me. Uh, I think it's more the principles of toy design. I, I think it's uh, maybe because of the subject matter, it appeals more to males, and then um, a masculine male like El Tono is more inspirational. It's more relatable in a way. And as uh, a friend of mine on Discord said, Luchador is cool, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually capitalising on that, um, Character in set six isn't working out, so uh, replacing him with another luchador character. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, so uh, speaking of the price points, what kind of price points are we looking at for Hyper Jukin? Uh, 75 Australian for the three decks, which uh, here is a really good buy because uh, decks are usually about the 25 mark here, so 25 times 375. But uh, recently, because of how things, Pokemon's gone up to like 30 bucks a starter deck now. Okay. So here's... Have they gone up in your way? Your direction? Uh, man, I mean, depends on what deck. But you're talking starter deck, probably uh, over here, 10, 15, probably 15 new. Yeah, yeah that went up uh, 5, 10 bucks here. Depending okay. on where you Crazy. Okay. So you're saying like stateside, what kind of numbers are we looking at in the U.S.? Uh... From what I've been told uh, from uh, friends, uh, 75 Australian comes out to about 50 bucks US. Okay, not bad at all. Three three perfectly solid, great tune decks. 
great environment. 60, for uh, 69 foils between the three of them, 60 of them full art. Oh, yeah, nice, nice, nice. Great variety, great everything, and then set two right up for uh, set two, block two. Cool, cool. Okay. And uh, you can play it out of the box, so if you just want it like a board game, it can do that. If you want to go constructed, you can go that. It uh, Honestly, the way it turned out, uh, both from the way constructed plays and the way the product itself plays, it really is get it, play with it however you like. Oh, yeah. Great variety, great variety is what I see. Speaking of variety, that's uh, something we're also aiming for with the characters, uh, trying to keep all the characters diverse so everyone gets something that they really resonate with. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I can see that so far. Great characters, great characters so uh, far. You've seen those two characters on the Kickstarter, haven't you? Yes, uh, we've got um, We're at Liberty to talk about them right now. Oh yeah, yeah, they're public knowledge now. Okay, okay, okay. We got a uh, we got a nice B. We got a yes. nice uh, man. I mean, who else we got? Uh, it's D Stinger the Wasp, who has a Tokusatsu theme. A uh, bit of Kamen Rider, bit of Power Rangers, bit of our own design. Uh, I did most. I actually do most of the characters on myself and work with the artist to polish it up. Elotono's uh, mask is actually exactly as I designed it. Nice. Um, Lucy's pretty much exactly as I designed it, except my Lucy was a bit chunkier. Lucy. Uh, Chi uh, was mostly the artist work. Uh, we have Mark the Bear, who has been very, very popular. Uh, I already can tell you, uh, we've discussed this in the comments, uh, his hyper attack is by far the strongest around. Okay. It's, if it makes contact, it's probably going to win you the game, but because of the way the game goes, it's a bit easier to stop it from happening, but if it hits, it's probably just game over. Okay, and then we have game. Louise the Cockatiel, who is based on another one of my pets, like Lucy is. Okay, nice, nice, nice. And uh, she's uh, got a theme based around blocking, which she'll fit more in with the Block 2's uh, B1 and B6 decks. You'll get a lot to customise her there, but she works perfectly fine in... Uh, alpha block, a uh, lot of fun, hard to play, genuinely hard to play at times. We had to alter a lot to simplify her and give her some tools that she wasn't meant to have but uh, had to have to make it easier to play for other people because it became a position of I was basically the only one that could pile it up okay. out of the box. But uh, she's got the art design uh, and art direction gets much, much stronger in set two. Uh, she benefits from it a lot. Uh, the cards that you've seen of her, uh, wait, wait till you see her fighter card, uh, her hyper fighter form, and uh, set two brings signature attacks. Uh, so it's one uh, A1, A2, and A3 give different types of signature cards. A1 has the signature buffs, A2 has the signature attacks, A3 has signature tactics. Tactics, okay. These ones don't become buffs, though. Um, her art direction uh, makes her really pop. Uh, I We've already experienced Mark being by far the most popular character from set two. Uh, women especially love him. That's okay. been a really interesting thing. That's been the one that's uh, getting them on board. Um, but, yeah, uh, I've showed off the A2 characters to a few people, and the reason they actually in the Kickstarter, uh, not only Ben said that I probably should show, uh, be more direct in where the game goes. But I have experienced people that aren't terribly keen on anything from A1 going, oh, I really like that from A2. So show them early. Basically say, if the game's successful, this is what you're getting next set. You might want to invest in the first set to help the next set happen. Yeah. Um, have you thought of including any kind of early promotional material boxed in with the first set? Uh, such as? Uh, just maybe a flyer, anything like that, you know? Flyer, anything? Just, uh, just I mean, just kind of showing off set two, you know? Oh, uh, the backs of the um, Fighters Tool cards will have a preview to that color, that character of the that color for the next set, each set. So on the back of Lucy's one, it'll basically have an advertisement for Mark. On the back of Elotono's, it'll have an advertisement for Louise, and on the back of Taichi's, 
it'll have an advertisement for D-Stinger, and then in their own set, it'll be for the next set, and then so on and so forth. Okay. So okay. I, I, I want to um, show people, yeah, it's set two's, well, the next set, I should say, is coming. This is what you're getting. And hopefully with set three, or set two, I should say, the way I wanted to do it is, when I, I don't want to show it online. I want it to be so that when you get it, it's a surprise. So you get the box, you open up, oh, that's the character for the next set. Nice, 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 nice. Okay, so real quick, um, you mentioned that Lucy was initially intended to be a little bit more chunky. Uh, do yeah. you have to? Uh, do you happen to um want to include a lot of body positivity, a little body positivity in future sets? Uh, it really depends. Well, I should point this out. The uh, artist uh, is a woman, and she was the one who made it thinner, uh, tried to make it more cutesy. Uh, as far as that type of thing concerned, it's more uh, what suits the animal as well. Like uh, set five, we have a black rhino. She's, of course, going to be a bigger girl because it's a rhino. They're big animals. Uh, it, it really depends on what the animal is as to where they get placed in the light, medium, heavy. Does it make sense within context? Okay. Good to see some inclusivity. Okay. Um, so, okay, speaking on the animation and everything, the animator. Um, so if the funds got right, how much do you think it would take to get some rudimentary animation, cartoons type anime things put up online or something? Just throwing it out there. Oh, I wouldn't know the foggiest about it. Okay. It'd be, have to some, be something I'd investigate. Uh, honestly, at this point, I, given how everything is, I think the easiest thing to do would probably be some type of either picture book or comic book. It's okay. Just like uh, four panel things would probably be easier. It, everything about Hyperjukin is uh, baby steps, baby steps, get it there. Okay. Yep. I'm very impressed with what you got so far, but looking for that uh comic storybook in a uh, Kickstarter too, though. Okay. So uh, so what are the print run numbers, and what do you think you need? You and what do you think that you'll need to be successful? Okay. So the Kickstarter pays for a 500 car, uh, box print run, so there will only be 500 uh, printed if we just get over the line. If it's, uh, I don't have the exact numbers on me, but um, uh, just trying to do maths in my brain. Um, probably get past 80,000, it gets up to 1,000 print run because we'll have to print that many to cover how many people have bought them. It Everything will be very close to how much is bought because as I mentioned on the Fight for the Future post on the website, I too don't want, product sitting around. I don't have a warehouse. It's a matter of uh, get it out the door as fast as possible to make so not inundated with stock. Just sitting around. Um, if it gets past 2,000 uh, for set one, which I'm not sure somehow uh, likely that is, but fingers crossed, uh, that's likely the position when I would go to a distributor because I'd need someone else to handle distribution for me. Okay. Uh, the sales figures are there. Um, as far as the future goes, as long as it's selling enough to continue, which is about 400 units in a reasonable time, it can stick to uh, 500 uh, print runs. After that, 1,000, that, that's when it can start having more money allocated to try to help it grow because it's actually producing enough to invest money back into it. 2000 it's it's basically all gravy. We can do basically anything. Okay, so we're shooting for at least 2000 That's what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, so what kind of perks are we looking at for, for, for us collectors? Okay, so the way Hyperdrucum works, and it was always intended to work, was for multiple purchases to be driven by the full arts. Uh, the first run is going to be full art stamped, and I haven't mentioned this on the website. I'm actually going to be posting it soon. Uh, no set is going to be reprinted unless there is a very good reason to. 
So let's say set one only sells 500. Then pre-orders for set two goes up to 1500, right? Then um, there's enough individual orders and that to go, oh, we've actually expanded the base. That's when an unlimited run for set one would happen. Otherwise, it's not going to sell enough to people that don't have it. But as far as bringing back older cards, if we just like steadily grow, it's more... Uh, I know I'm not answering your question. I'll get to that in a second. It, because this is tangentially related anyway. It's going to be more about mixing old cards into new. To yeah. try to give people, say, in your position that's already bought uh, set one, a reason to buy a set with a few cards they already have. So let's say um, we reprint uh, set one's characters because there's a demand for the characters, but there's a not really enough demand to reprint set one as is. We'd probably change up the card of cards, change up a few cards in each deck. So the characters get reissued, a few of the cards get reissued, but there's enough new to cater for everyone. So back to your collector question. Uh, at the moment, it's focusing on promos for that. Um, okay. The promos are basically being made to order. So, and I want them to be uh, cool, like the metal, uh, metallic foiling, the uh, hot stamping. I want them to be something that that the uh, cards in the normal sets don't have to make you go, oh, that's really cool. I wouldn't mind that. And because they're going to be much, much more limited, like let's say that everyone bought only one of set one. It only sold 500 copies. Uh, the stamped Carter cards, they'd only be 500, and then you divide it by how many uh, of each person, I'm sorry, how many of each version uh, was ordered, because it's going to be three different ones. They're going to have a collectible note to them because there's not going to be many around. You had to buy to get them. You only got one. It's desirable. Uh, a key core uh, belief of mine is that and uh, this was going to be the case if a uh, TCG version of Hyperdukum was even feasible, but I want everyone to be able to play regardless of their monetary status in life. However, if you want them to be all pretty and sparkly, yeah, that's when you've got to pay for it. I don't think people should be basically barred from playing, period, because that, that's in a lot of cases what uh, expensive cards do. They bar people from playing just because rarity or whatnot. Because uh, you'll follow the channel for a long time. You'll probably know that the original intent was the commons to be full frame and the chase cards to be full art foil. Oh, yeah. I remember when everything was going to be um, grayscale for the uh, yeah. commons, yeah. Yeah. Kind of glad we got away from that, but eh. But whatever works, works, though. Okay. So, uh, got different perks for the collectors, though. Okay. So, overall, where do you oh, see... Is the mats, uh, if if we get up there, I'll be producing a mat that's only 100 copies. Okay, it's just 100 copies. Okay. So, I mean, get them while you... Get them while the getting's good. They're going like hotcakes. Okay. Um, so, where do you see Hyper Jukin in five years yourself? It really depends on how the Kickstarter goes, but... If everything lines up well, hopefully in a position where it's distributed enough that by actual distributors, uh, it's just a matter of me uh, sending the final files to China. They send the boxes to the distributor. You can walk in and pick up whichever of the three decks you like. The game's producing so much that we don't have to sell them at, uh, as three decks together because of cost reasons. We can actually break them up and... Yeah, a lot of people have actually really liked the idea of it just being the decks, selling it more like a toy, and I'm not even sure if moving from uh, the decks to a full TCG is even a desirable thing right now. It'd, it'd really be a case of to, how do people want to consume it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we got to wait on this Kickstarter and see how it does. I mean, everything's looking pretty good so far. Everything's looking well. Um, so I see you got an $8,000, um, pledge that you want to reach right now, right? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, 8,000 US, it's 12,000 Australian. 
Okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get there very soon, very soon. Okay. Um, okay, so there goes our A2 block characters right there. Okay. Yeah. So, um... And uh, set three is named. Set three is named, okay. So you can say what they are. Okay. Yep, yep. We got the the Blizzard Empress. We got Nogpaw the Cobra. Satria the Komodo Dragon for red. And and Snowy the Cat for yellow. Okay. Yeah, I try to name uh, a lot of the wild animals like they would have names in a zoo. So nice, nice. you'll notice in zoos a lot, they give them names from the region of the world they come from. Nice, so nice. Uh, that's what I try to do with that. But the domestic animals... Well, if they're inspired by my own pets, that's the type of name I give them. Otherwise, I try to pick names that that type of animal generally gets as a pet because I think, hey, if... Uh, well, so the Chihuahua character that I want to do for the Lutra one, if you have a Chihuahua, I, I, I'd like you to be able to go, oh, that's exactly like my pet, and it helps build that bond. Okay. Nice, 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 nice. Okay. Um, so we've pretty much already covered this. But what empty space in the market would you say that Hyperjukin will fill? Well, the way things are at the moment, I think uh, a game that's affordable to play for most people because of well, the inflation problem at the moment, uh, Hyperjukin is going to be a lot more affordable than most TCGs. Um, nothing like it visually on the market. And the only thing comparative to it in terms of mechanics is Flesh and Blood, which is an extremely different game. True indeed, true indeed. So it, it's uh, carving out its own niche of a very easy to pick and pick up and play a fighting game with uh, likable cartoon characters that can appeal to all ages. Okay. Sounds good, sounds good. Okay. So we also come from a force of will background, and uh, like you know, that game yeah. has had a few pitfalls, and like you know, magic lately, more bans than ever. So, what do you? How do you seek to avoid all of those pitfalls for the naysayers? Uh, well, I can tell you this right now. Um, I go back to designs after I've uh, finished and rework them. I look at them with fresh eyes a few months later and then think, oh, can I fix anything? Is this going to be a problem with what I'm designing now? Uh, currently, I'm actually going back and fixing up A3. It had actually been finished, in big quotation marks, uh, about four months ago. I'm going back to it and fixing up some things because I knew that about 10 of the cards in there could be better. I try to make every deck, uh, or I should say set, uh, play well as a set. Uh, the way things are working out, uh, I'm going back to set four and five in a very similar manner because I'm bouncing between sets. Because I'm so far ahead, I can actually, and because... There's not a lot of bureaucracy because it's a solo mission. Um, I can actually go back and edit cards before you get them, knowing what they'll interact with a year later. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like um, Elitona, right? Uh, I don't know who I gave the control for for him. If it was you all or some card games. Uh, anyway, he's got this card called the Equalizer, right? Okay. It's a level to attack. Its attack effect is to just uh, neutralize a non-debuff card on the board. So set cards, buffs, and anything else later on that might be on the board. Originally, it hit anything on the board, anything in play. We figured out in set two and three that this was horribly broken. Blue could basically answer everything by itself. So we went back and fixed it. And that's uh, something that I have the capability to do. And also because the sets are small for the moment, it's really easy to manage uh, card design like that. Right. Everything can be fine-tuned. Problems can be gotten rid of. Like uh, set two also had a card that I didn't want it interacting with certain cards 
And so three, I could go back now because it's nowhere near print and fix it up so it's worded in such a way that it won't interact with those cards and then cause a loop problem. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so um, if you care to uh, share with the people, um, you say you've got about how many sets in development right now? Okay, so set one and two are officially finished. Uh, set two's artwork is down to the last three or so cards. It won't release till four months after set one ships out. It'll be four months between sets. Set three is now going back for some refinement. Uh, characters basically are getting ready to be designed. Set four is in a very similar position where it's being edited into its final positions. It's played out a bit. We understand the new mechanics quite well. Set five and six are mostly designed, a little bit tested. It's still uh, just getting it there. But um, the red deck for set five is actually finished, which came together really fast. I don't think it even edited any editing because it was uh, off the bat really well done. And sets seven through nine are basically conceptualised. It'll A lot of those will depend on what's popular and what's not from sets one through six because... <coughs> sorry, dry throat. Nope. Because uh, the intent is for sets seven through nine to introduce one new character per set but bring back the most popular character per colour and the least popular character per colour. One, most popular because they're liked. Least popular because it'll give them a chance to impress a second time. And if they don't, then, well, maybe it's a time to retire them. It would depend. Might use them less. Uh, the second block's concepts, and uh, well, I should say, uh, block in the same way Dragon Ball Super does it, but how they have... Um, the block is more a large group of smaller blocks. So the second, uh, I should say, what, 10 through 18, uh, new mechanics will be brought in that are uh, being conceptualised right now. Still going to try them out and test them, but it's a long way off. And then 19 through 27 is about as far as I've planned ahead. So, yeah, 27 is planned out. Um, I know the mechanic. I've had it on board for a very, very long time, and I can't wait to try it. Okay, so you're saying set 19 through 27? Yeah, that, that'll be the uh, third uh, big mechanic introduction. Okay. Yeah, so you heard it here, 19 through 27 set. So this is no fly-by-night thing. This is here for the long haul, so show some support. Hyperjukin, the Kickstarter is live right now. Um, we have hit that magical hour mark. Um, oh, geez, we've been talking an hour. <laughs> an hour. So yeah, um, I'm gonna go out tonight myself. Oh uh, yeah. All right. Um. So we've touched on a lot. Um. Anything else you want to tell the people? Well, I think the most important thing is. Hyperdrucan means a lot to me. It's something I've packed a lot of time, sweat, tears, and love and crying into. Since There's been a lot of times where it, it's just like, it's a case of, is this really worth it? But you plow through because you really do believe in it. I think one thing I can really promise everyone is I will always try my hardest not to let you down. I'll always take the time to listen to you. Even if I don't agree with your opinion, I'll try to explain why things are the way they are, why they had to be done the way they were done, whether I think uh, there is an answer to whatever problem you've got. And if there is a genuine problem, I'll try to fix it. Oh, yeah. Being in the position I am, uh, I'm a lot closer to where Jeff was with Forceville or earlier, oh, what was his name? Jordan, where you can get more of a personal touch. Very respectable, very, very admirable. Okay, man, everything sounds real good. We just need the people to show up, and then we can get set after set after set of excellent gameplay. So, um, so again, uh, hit I should mention uh, one last thing. Uh, after the we hit that two thousand mark, if distributors don't really aren't really interested to like the kids' high numbers, one thing I do want to 
help people where there's there will be enough help of money there to help people by producing uh, promo packages for locals. So say you wanted to hold locals for Hyperdruke and the store really wasn't interested, I can help you with that. Nice, nice, nice. I okay. can I can get you that prize support. Okay. Gotta get that local scene built. That's how we're gonna get the word out there. Okay. So um and then do you care to drop your socials and everything? Oh, I don't know them off by heart. Um on uh, Facebook, Discord, um, not Discord, Facebook, Reddit, uh, not Reddit, oh, geez. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, well, not Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, just switch up Hyperdruken. On Instagram, it's got a underscore between Hyper and Druken. You'll find it there. On Twitter, it's a uh, She Games, S H I H Games. Uh, if you go to the savagechoosergames.com website, you'll find all the socials down the bottom. If you go to any of the YouTube videos posted recently on the official Hyperdruken web, uh, YouTube channel, uh, you'll find all the socials and the Discord posted there. So you can come, you can talk to me. Discord is going to be the easiest place to find me. And unless I'm asleep because of time zone reasons, I'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so, yeah, everything sounds great. Hit him up on his various socials. Show up to that Kickstarter. I know I will. And um, it's been Boyo Games with some gamer dude, Hyper Juking. I think we're signing out. I guess. Thanks uh, for having me. Thanks for showing up. And uh, I guess we're going to peace out. Y'all have a good one. Yeah.